If you've got a Bible, grab it and make your way to Luke chapter 22, what Christy was just reading. That's on page 882 in the Bibles around you. If you are a guest with us this morning, we are especially glad that you are here with us this morning. My name is Joe. I'm the lead pastor here. And if I haven't gotten a chance to say hello or shake your hand or meet you, I would love to have the privilege and the opportunity to do that afterwards. Uh, While you're making your way to Luke chapter 22, page 882, Uh, Let me speak a word to those of you who are actual uh, part of the membership here. And that's just to give you a heads up about something. As you know, this past summer, we passed a um, a new constitution and that it would go into effect this coming January, January the 1st. And as part of that, we will be shifting our leadership structure to a elder-led, deconserved, and congregational government. That's how we would be led. And so as part of that, the word elder can also be inter- interchanged with the word pastor. We would have vocational elders and pastors, so myself and Pastor John and Pastor Chad, but then also have some lay elders or pastors, those that aren't vocationally owned staff. And so next Sunday, we will be presenting to you those men that after prayer and conversations and examinations, those men that we feel that the Lord is giving to this church as a gift, Ephesians 4, to serve alongside John and Chad and myself as elders and pastors of this church. And we want to put those out four weeks in advance of our regularly scheduled uh, members meeting because we take this very, very seriously. We've examined them, we've questioned them, we've challenged them, we've talked with them. But now we want to put those names out to you next week so that you will then have four weeks to think about, to pray for, and to let us know in those four weeks if there's anything that you see in their lives that doesn't, uh, that would disqualify them based upon 1 Timothy 3 or Titus 1 or even 1 Peter 5 as unable to serve as an elder, as a pastor in this church, that you would send an email to John or, or myself or, or Chad and, and, and let us know and talk through that. All right, not, not necessarily opinions about them, but is there anything disqualifying in their lives according to those biblical texts? And so that'll be next week. I want to give you a heads up about that also so you can just begin praying for them. Um, and praying for that transition that's going to take place in January. I'm super excited about that time. I'm super excited about these guys. And so that'll be next Sunday. So be looking forward to that. Uh, we'll make that next Sunday. And then we'll actually have a vote of approval for them at the members meeting, but we'll put them out far in advance so that we have time to consider them rightly. Okay. But today, Luke chapter 22. And Luke chapter 22, if you're in Bible study this morning, we're, we're going to be double dipping a little bit on Peter. Uh, because we're going to get into part of what you had in Bible study uh, this morning. But if you don't have a background in the church, um, th- it may be a new story. If you do have a background in the church, this is going to be pretty familiar. What we've got is we've got the story of Peter denying Jesus. And so and so what she just read, what Christy just read, but this is Thursday night contextually. This is Holy Week. This is Thursday night. Jesus is hours away from dying on the cross on Friday for our sins, for the sins of the world. And so what we have before us this morning is that text where Jesus is betrayed by Judas and he is arrested and then he is denied by Jesus and by Peter. He's denied by Peter, the leader of the Jesus followers, the leader of the disciples. 
denies that he's a follower of Christ and denies that he even knows him. And so the way I want to approach this, because it's kind of we got two texts, we got 31 through 34 and then we got 54 through 62. And so I want to look at both of those as kind of um, episodes and I want to pull two things out of each one. All right. Out of each one, I want to look at a positive thing and a negative thing. Right. I want to look at negatively, like seeing ourselves in the life of Peter in each one and a word and a warning and a statement about our own selves and our own hearts and our own sin in the midst of that. And then also want to see a positive thing and be reminded and hear a statement about Christ and his grace and his love towards us in each of those. And so I pray that this morning would be uber convicting on the one hand and uber comforting on the other hand simultaneously. And so let's just look at it again. Luke chapter 22, we'll start in verse 31, page 882 in the Bibles around you. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. When you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me. Deny three times that you know me. And so after arguing back in verse 24 about who, uh, which disciple was the greatest, Peter now is trying to prove it by saying that he would go all the way even to death with Christ. And so it's like Peter's almost saying, Lord, it, 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 I'd like to see Satan try to come after me. Just let him. I'll never fail you. I will never betray you. I'll go with you to the very end. I will stand with you no matter what. And then we know hours later, he caves. He falls. He buckles. He denies Jesus. And so the first thing I want us to see out of this text here, especially as it, you know, I'm going to try to make this applicable to our lives is that we need to beware of spiritual pride. All right. If you're going to take notes, you can write that down. Beware of spiritual pride. All right. Courage is good. Courage is a good thing. Be courageous. That's wonderful. Courage is a good, good thing. But overconfidence is ruinous. We should never think that we are beyond any particular sin or that we can withstand any temptation by our own virtue. I mean, some of you know 2 Corinthians 12.10, which says, when I am weak, then I am strong. But the opposite is also true. That moment when we start to think that we're strong is the moment when we just became really, really weak. The great Anglican bishop J.C. Ryle writes this, the best and highest saint is a poor, weak creature, even at his best times. Whether he knows it or not, he carries within him an almost boundless capacity of wickedness, however fair and decent his outward conduct may seem. There is no enormity of sin which he may not run if he does not watch and pray and if the grace of God does not hold him up. When we read the fall of Peter, we only read what might possibly befall any of ourselves. Let us never presume. Let us never indulge in high thoughts about our own strength. Beware of spiritual pride. 
The moment that you think you've arrived or that you are beyond something or that you, you know, gained victory over something or you start to look down upon people. Oh, I would never do that. I could never go there. It's not only like falling into the sickening sin of self-righteousness, but it's also the pride that happens before the fall. And so last week we spent a lot of time talking about the Reformation. We started about Martin Luther and Germany and all of that. At the same time that that was going on in England, a Reformation was happening as well, though for different reasons, but ultimately great things came out of it and it all worked together. But anyhow, in England, there was a reformer named John Bradford. And John Bradford, when he would see uh, criminals or inmates or whatever being taken to uh, the gallows or just being taken to execution, John Bradford would repeatedly, and it's come down to us through history, would look at them going and he would say, except for the grace of God, there goes John Bradford. And that's come down to us in a saying that we now say where we say, except for the grace of God, there go I. Believe that. Believe that. Don't have spiritual pride. Do not think too highly of yourself. Do not have high thoughts about your own strength. Beware of spiritual pride. Because Satan hates you. And he is after you. And he wants to destroy you. And he will use your pride, just as he did here with Peter, to cause you to fail and fall. Because he's after you. Look at verse 31 again. Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. Right? Now that you there, it's hard to tell in English because of the way our syntax works. But in Greek, that is plural. So it's literally uh, Simon, Simon, Satan wants to have y'all. All, all, all y'all. Southern, like Greek is Southern. It's, it's just the way it works. But the idea here, Satan wants y'all. He wants to, he wants to sift. He wants to break. He wants to shake. He wants to destroy not just Peter, but all the disciples. But then bringing this here, not just all the disciples, but all of us as well. Satan wants to shake. He wants to shift. He wants to break. He wants to destroy all of us. Now, a lot of people want to say and pretend today Satan isn't real. And I'm not claiming there's a demon behind every bush, but Jesus just said Satan's real. I'm going with Jesus. And Jesus also just said that Satan is after us, that he wants to have us or he wants to consume us because he hates us. So making sure you understand that Satan hates God. He hates Jesus. He hates you. He hates all things and seeks to destroy those things that give God glory. And so he was after Peter. He was after the disciples. He's after me and he's after you. To destroy us. And his demonic influence is everywhere. It's in the selfish way we often hoard what we have for ourselves instead of giving to others who don't have. It's in the ministry conflict that tempts us to quit and go somewhere else. It's in the sudden impulse to click on a pornographic website. 
It's in the secret resentment we have against someone's spiritual leadership, whether that's in the house or in the church. It's in the temptation to give up on a difficult relationship because it's hard. Or it's in the despair we feel about making any real progress against the main sin that seems to so dominate our lives. Satan wants to destroy you. And so put no confidence in your own flesh. Beware of spiritual pride. You're not as strong as you think you are. But also, be encouraged because Christ will never fully let you go. He will never fully let you go. And that's number two in your notes. Be encouraged. Christ will never let you go. Right? He'll never let you go. Now, we know, and we're going to get into it here in a few minutes, that Peter does deny Christ. Peter does sin. He does fall. At the moment of Christ's greatest need, he bails on Christ. He denies Christ. He sins horribly against his Savior. But he doesn't ultimately fall away. Like those, and I'm not judging because somebody gave us one. I don't know what that says, but y'all have seen those like human leashes you put on small kids? It's almost like that. Jesus will let us wander and He'll let us get into some awful, consequential, painful moments and sin and difficulties. But He will never let go of the leash. And though Satan comes at us with all his might, and though we may go through just difficult trials of life that happen, or even fall or give into wicked sin as Peter did, we will not be utterly and ultimately lost because Jesus has prayed that our faith will not fail and Jesus' prayers never fail. And so hang on to that. In whatever situation you find yourself in, the Savior of sinners holds you in His hand and He says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And so look at verse 31 again. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And so again, Satan is real. He has great power. He has to be reckoned with seriously. But notice this. Satan's power is only on, by permission from God. He had to come and ask, hey, I, I want to sift Peter. So there's not two ultimate powers, God and, and Satan, good and evil. There's just one that's God. And when Satan wants to have the disciples, he has to come to God first. And that is an important word for us to hang on to today. Satan cannot hurt you any more than the Lord would permit. And so it's encouraging to know that God who is gracious and loving and good and infinitely stronger than Satan, right? if we would simply trust God, to the end, He'll give us eternal life. That is an encouraging thing to know. But it is double encouraging, okay? Right? Listen closely. It is double hopeful that Jesus does not just stand back then to see if we will have the strength to endure to the end. No, He steps in and makes it happen. And look at verse 31 again. Simon, Simon. 
Behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, right? Jesus is saying, Peter, you're going to fall, but not all the way. You're going to repent. You're going to turn. You're going to come back. It's going to happen when, not if, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And so at the beginning of verse 31, everything looks bad. Satan is after Peter. But then you come to verse 32 and it begins with the word, but. And that word puts everything that Jesus would do over against everything that Satan would try. Satan was against Peter, but Jesus was for him. Satan wanted to destroy Peter, but Jesus promised to save him. And so Peter was saved because he's on the same side of the sentence as the Savior. He did not ultimately fall away, but returned to Jesus because Jesus prayed for him. And dear friends, Jesus is busy praying the same thing for you and I. The Bible says Romans 8.34 that Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding for us. It says Hebrews 7.25 that He's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercessions for them. And so Jesus Christ is praying that our faith would not fail. In the midst of our chronic pain or our chronic sickness, He's praying that in our physical weakness, we will not stop trusting in His goodness. In the midst of our troubled marriage, He's praying that in our alienation, we will not stop trusting in His love. In the midst of our financial situation and joblessness, He's praying that in our urgent concern about paying the bills, we will not stop trusting in the Lord to provide. In the midst of our secret discouragement or depression, He's praying that in our dark night of the soul, we will not stop trusting in Him to lead us into the light. In the midst of our wandering again into sin, He's praying that we will never stop trusting in His forgiveness. Jesus is praying that our faith will not fail. And so understand, not only... Not only are we not left without a shield against the enemy, but we also are not left to be the only one who holds it to try to defend ourselves. Jesus takes hold of the shield and He is the shield and He defends us for us. 1 Peter 3.5 kind of puts it really clear when it says, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5, through We've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, listen, who by God's power, not yours, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so friends, the almighty power of God will never let us ultimately go. But will preserve us to the end in answer to Jesus' prayer. 
And so lay hold of that and be encouraged by that whenever you start to doubt that your trust in God will not endure to the end. Christ, as we so often sing in here, will hold you fast. Oh no, He never lets go. We sing that. No power of hell, no scheme of man shall ever pluck me from His hand. Which is a summary of John 10. We sing that. It's true. And so, yeah, beware of your spiritual pride. Put no confidence in yourself, but be encouraged because Christ prays for you and will never let you ultimately go. And so have confidence in His power to bring you all the way home. Even in the midst of your sin and your folly, which brings us to verse 54 where we get into Peter's actual denial and sin against Christ. So look at verse 54 with me. Then they seized him, him being Jesus, and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. And then a servant girl. Jesus is terrified. I keep saying that. Lord, forgive me. Don't strike me dead. Then a servant girl. Right? Peter's, Peter's scared of a servant girl. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else said, Someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly. This man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. In the other Gospels, he actually calls down a curse upon himself. I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Bitterly. And so get this picture in your mind. Peter's denying Christ. And the rooster crows and the eyes of the Savior lock eyes with Peter. And in that moment, he is crushed. He feels it. He knows it. Puts his, I can just see him putting his hands, like his head into his hands. What have I done? Have you been there? I have. You did something. You said something. You sinned. Okay, the thing that you said you would never do or the thing that you said you would never do again, you did. And then it hits you. The Holy Spirit convicts you. You're devastated. And you see who you truly are outside of the grace of God. And you just feel like you want to throw up. You feel sick to your stomach. You feel ashamed. You feel dirty. You feel embarrassed. You're mortified. That's Peter here. And friends, that's actually the first step in repentance. You agree with God that your sin is sin and you grieve over it. 
And so you've got to understand and feel the weight of your sin. Feel the weight, the grievousness of your sin. And so number that's going to be number three. Understand the grievousness of your sin. Feel it. Grieve it. It's the natural response of our spiritual sight. Like if we are in Christ, it's the natural response that we'll see when we see our sin for what it is up against a holy God and what we've just done. And it's like vinegar. It's bitter. And it hurts. And it makes us sick. We realize how sinful we actually are. We're so much worse than we thought. The bad news is actually true. And we're broken. And so we mourn and we grieve at what we've done as we look into the face of Jesus slain for us on the cross. Betrayed by us. Denied by us. And so brothers and sisters, I I, I don't know. Maybe in here, how long, maybe for one of you, has it been since you looked at Jesus' face and saw your own sin and wept bitterly over it? You recognized who Christ is and who you are. And you saw it truthfully. Some of you, it's been too long. Your heart's grown cold and hard. Let today be the day that you weep bitterly over your sin. Ecclesiastes says that a sad face is good for the heart, that sometimes the bitter weeping is a partial cleansing for the soul through the tears of the broken. And so understand the grievousness of your sin and be broken over it. But don't stay there. Don't stay there. Yes, we agree with God about our sin. We stop excusing. We stop justifying. We own it. We see it. We grieve it. And then we decide to leave it and turn away from it and run back to Jesus. All right. And that, not just staying there, but, but turning back to Christ. That's the difference between repentance and remorse. That's the difference between two betrayers in this story. Peter is a betrayer and he repents. Judas is a betrayer and he just feels bad. And so Jesus turns, Peter turns away from his sin and runs back to Jesus. Judas turns to a rope in a tree and commits suicide. It's easy for two sinners to feel bad about their sin. But it's what happens after that. We turn. We grieve it. We decide to leave it and we run back to Jesus. And so, friends, grieve your sin. Feel its weight and its ugliness, but don't stay there. Run to Jesus. Remember back to Luke 15, the prodigal son. He wakes up to the reality of the life that he's living and the weight of what he's doing and how it's not what God has for him. And he heads home. We don't ever be scared to go home. Don't ever be scared to come home to Jesus. He already knows your mess. You're not surprising Him. He knew it when He sent Jesus to the cross for you. And He still sent Him to the cross for you. You're not surprising Him. Don't be scared to head home. 
go home. Because as weighty and as grievous as our sin is, the grace of our Lord Jesus is infinitely greater. And that's number four. Understand the grace of Christ is infinitely greater. It's infinitely greater than the weight of our sin. And so again, if you were in Bible study this morning, you know where I'm going. John chapter 21. All right, I'm going to have time to read all of that. But in the book of John chapter 21, we kind of get the continuation of this story. We get the last piece of this saga of Peter's denial of Jesus and Peter's repentance. Because the Bible story doesn't just end with Peter weeping bitterly, but with him running home to Jesus. And that running home to Jesus in the midst of your sin is a mark of maturity. It's a mark of maturity. Because in the Christian life, you're going to fail. You're going to fall. You're going to sin. You are going to do that thing that you swore you would never do or something like it. You're going to wind up doing it. You're going to fall. You're going to fail. Martin Luther, simul justus et peccator. At the same time, we are justified. We're still sinners. So that's going to happen. We will betray Jesus. We will deny our Savior. We will sin against Him. But a mark of maturity is that when that happens, we don't run from God and pretend as if we can clean ourselves up and just <clears throat> do enough penance and you know do the time for the crime and get God back on our side by our actions. If we just punish ourselves enough, then God will accept me. You remember the good news of Jesus that He paid it all. He paid it all. All your sin before you knew Christ, all your sin after you knew Christ, past, present, future sin, He paid it all. And our, we remember that our right standing with God has little to nothing to do with our own actions. It has everything to do with Christ's actions for us. He lived the perfect life that we haven't. He died the death that we've been condemned to die. He rose to give us a gift we could never earn. He's the one who wins our salvation. This is the goodness of God towards us. He doesn't say, I've saved you. Now keep yourself saved by living a perfect life. No, He prays for us. He walks with us and He continues to forgive us all the days of our life. As we turn to Him, as we turn away from our sin and turn to Him, He has infinite grace for screw-ups like you and me. That's His goodness. And so a sign of maturity is that when you stumble and when you fall, you don't run from God. You turn and you run to God. You run back into His arms and His amazing grace and you fall at His feet and worship and you say, I, am, I cannot believe that I failed you again. How good are you that you don't quit on me? You still forgive me. I worship you. I praise you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you would love me though I denied you. Thank you that you would call me your own and you would delight in me though I'm such a royal screw-up. Thank you, Jesus. It says a mark of maturity. We run to Christ in the midst 
of our sin. But another thing that we see in John 21, read it tonight so you can see it for yourself. I'll just give you the paraphrase, though. Is that like when you get in John 21, what happens and we see Peter running to Jesus? What happens literally is he's out like in his bass tracker with his buddies fishing because they're depressed. Jesus has died and risen again. Jesus walks up to the shore. He sees him out on the shore and he goes off Forrest Gump and jumps out of his boat, his shrimp boat, and starts swimming to Lieutenant Dan, Jesus, and gets to him. That's what he does. Okay, so that is Peter going to Jesus, running home to to Christ. But it was Jesus who came to the lake looking for Peter. And he wasn't waiting on Peter to make the first move. Jesus went to the lake. He went looking for Peter. He was, Christ was coming for Peter. And that's the grace of God as well. Peter had denied him at the most critical moment of his life. And we deny him. We abandon him. We betray him. We turn away from him. But Jesus never abandons us. And he pursues us and he comes after us with grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, even in the midst of our betrayal. That's the love of God towards his own. And so, yes, beware of spiritual pride, but be encouraged. Christ will never let you ultimately go. He will pray for you. He will hold you fast. And absolutely understand the grievousness of your sin, but understand afresh the infinitely greater grace of the Lord Jesus. Grace that is greater than all our sin. And all means all. Let's pray. Father, why you would send your son to die for a rebel like me? Like us? No one in this room, no one on earth has ever been deserving outside of Christ of your love, your mercy of your grace. We can't. It's impossible. You are infinitely holy, good, righteous, and perfect. And we are not. We are sinful through and through. From the moment of conception we never have to be taught to sin. We know it inherently. And then even as John was praying earlier today, we ratify it over and over and over and over with our actions and our continual betrayals and our continual denials. And we don't even know or see or realize half of them. But you are gracious and good. And you sent Jesus to rescue us. And as we come now to remember that, the sacrifice that Jesus paid on our behalf, 
bearing your wrath against sin, our sin, that we deserve. I pray as we prepare to receive this ordinance, that you would work in our hearts and in our minds and expose and open up our eyes to any areas of sin that you are wanting to deal with in us today. We all have them. Whether it's our spiritual pride, or whether it's our lack of repentance, our lack of even feeling the weight of sin because we've grown calloused and hard. Deal with us in grace and goodness and open up our eyes that we might turn and follow you more. Or perhaps, for some of us, for the first time. And so we ask all this in Christ's name.